1: Hello, and welcome to episode number 24 of The Music Plays the Band. I'm your host, Rob Koritz of the Dark Star Orchestra. I hope you're all safe and well. Well, it's the holiday weekend, and I hope you're all able to have a safe Thanksgiving with family and friends. Uh, For me and my family, it's almost back to normal, or the new normal anyway. Um, Our kids are close to being fully vaccinated, and while we're not quite ready for the traditional huge family gathering we normally have, We'll be with all of our immediate family together for the first time in a long while. Last year it was just the four of us for Thanksgiving, so this is a welcome change. And then the band takes off the next day for our first run of more than a weekend in quite a while. Almost a, a well over a year anyway. So I'm looking forward to getting on our bus and getting down to sunny Florida, playing some outdoor shows and a bit of golf. For those of you that haven't heard the news, The Music Plays the Band is now a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, the podcast network for music lovers. And our first episode with Dennis McNally had a bunch of new listeners, so I would like to welcome everyone listening through Pantheon and thank them for their support. I had mentioned at the end of the last episode that my guest this week would be guitarist Al Schneer of Moe, but uh, due to a tragedy in the Moe family, he's going to have to reschedule with us. About two weeks ago Moe's other guitarist Chuck Garvey suffered a stroke and he's in a bit of a rough spot right now and the band is really just hanging out and getting behind him. So we're sending our thoughts to Chuck and to Al and all of our friends in the Moe camp hoping for a speedy recovery. In Al's place however I am excited to welcome multi-instrumentalist Jason Crosby. Jason has played with a who's who of musicians over the years including Carlos Santana, Eric Clapton, Dave Matthews. Uh, One of my favorites, the Blind Boys of Alabama, Susan Tedeschi, and so many others. A while back, he moved out to the Bay Area, where he became a fixture in the Dead Scene as well, and he performs often with both Bob Weir and Phil Lesh. He's on the road with Jackson Brown right now, but he took some time on a day off to have a conversation that I think you'll really enjoy. Also on the show today is Nate Powell of the band Left Unsung from Memphis, Tennessee. So as always, I'm glad you're here, and before we get to the first segment... I humbly ask you to support the podcast any way you can. There's the monthly Patreon subscription with giving levels starting as low as $5 a month, which gives you exclusive bonus content including outtakes, expanded interviews and segments, videos and stories from the road, community hang time, and much, much more. You can also make a one-time contribution through PayPal, and a portion of all the proceeds goes to the Rex Foundation, the charity started by the Grateful Dead. You can find out about all of this and more at www.themusicplaystheband.net. And wherever you're listening to the podcast, whether it's through Pantheon or somewhere else, please rate, like, and review. So again, I'm really glad you're here. Let's get started with this episode. Black Music Moment is brought to you by The Clean Store, brandingandapparel.com for all your branding and apparel needs. Technology-driven solutions and concierge service for managing programs of all sizes. The Black Music Moment is our attempt at chronicling the profound influence of black music and musicians on the Grateful Dead and the Jerry Garcia Band. Today we honor Lee Dorsey. Lee Dorsey was born in 1924 in New Orleans, Louisiana. In his early years, he was childhood friends with Fats Domino, but left New Orleans for Portland, Oregon when he was 10 years old. After serving in the Navy, he returned to New Orleans in 1955. He opened an auto repair business and also began singing in the nightclubs. He soon began a recording career that took off when he collaborated with famed songwriter and producer Alan Toussaint. Their first hit together, 1961's Ya Ya, reached number seven on the charts and sold over a million copies. He continued to record with Toussaint and his biggest hit was 1965's Working in a Coal Mine. On this recording and many others he was backed by another legendary group that we have featured here, the Meters. Other tunes that made the charts included Ride Your Pony and the one we will hear today, Get Out of My Life Woman. A few follow-ups had some minor success, but Dorsey was hard-pressed to duplicate his big hit. Eventually, he left music and returned to running his auto shop. In 1977, he made a comeback that led to opening spots on tours for James Brown, Jerry Lee Lewis, and even The Clash in 1980. After that, he performed very little, and he passed away in 1986. His legacy was strong, and his tunes have been covered by the likes of John Lennon, Tina Turner, the Pointer Sisters, Devo, and of course, Jerry Garcia. Garcia first performed Get Out Of My Life Woman in 1984, and it showed up in his setlist over 60 times in the next 10 years. The groove in this tune is so funky, and is actually one of the most sampled tracks in hip-hop history. The Garcia band changed the groove ever so slightly, but it's still super funky, especially for JGB. So here is Lee Dorsey and the 1966 original version of Get Out Of My Life Woman. I'd like to take a minute and tell you about Beth Kortz. She is a psychotherapist, intuitive clarity coach, and founder of the Authenticity Academy. For the past 12 years, she has been supporting her clients to fully embody their authenticity and create the life they desire with her three-step clarity coaching program. This is your time to gain clarity, defining yourself by who you really are, not by what you do. Increase your confidence by activating your inner powers and take soul-led action creating a life in alignment with your purpose, passions, and desires. If you're ready to learn more, book a free 30-minute clarity call with Beth Coritz. Visit www.yourclaritycoach.com or the sponsor page of the musicplaystheband.net. I know she is looking forward to supporting you on your journey. For today's segment of There is a Grateful Dead cover band, and every time we head down to Memphis, Tennessee to talk with Nate Powell of Left Unsung. Okay, I am here today with Nate Powell from Memphis, Tennessee, and the band Left Unsung. How are you, my friend? Doing great, Rob. Good to see you. Yeah, you too, man. Thanks. Nice to meet you. Thanks for joining me today. Um, Absolutely. Left Unsung is based in one of my favorite cities in the world, Memphis, Tennessee, right down the river from St. Louis right. here. Um, and, and you guys have been around for a bit, I think. So can you just give me a, a brief rundown on your history and how you got started?
2: Yeah, sure. It's actually kind of a, a crazy story. Our, our drummer Mike, he was in a was in a band before. I mean, you know how that goes. You you're kind of musical, uh, you know, jack of all trades and popping around in different bands. He was actually playing a gig in Canada, like like Quebec or some some place like that. Of all places, and you know, I mean, that's a bit of a trip from Memphis. And you know, he was driving because it was going to be the uh, kind of like their last big hurrah. You know, on on the road and so he was driving back i mean that's like a three or four day drive he split it up and when he was um, passing through indianapolis area he got a uh, flat tire yeah probably like near like deer creek outside noblesville you know that that kind of area pulled off you know on an exit so that you know he wasn't changing a flat tire in the dark you know on the side of the uh, interstate and uh pulls over you know you'll see you know little signs of you know roads and things like that with kind of arrows pointing well there was a uh, a street sign that he saw when his light turned on it in the street was actually um, called like it was unsung that was the name on this sign was just unsung and then underneath it there was a left hand arrow like pointing like you know this way to you know if that's where you're trying to get to <laughs> and so i mean it like hit him like a ton of bricks you know it comes back to memphis you know puts together a crew and you know that was like on 2016 2017 and you know here we are still having a great time that's awesome
1: yeah everybody would just think oh they pulled the song lyric left done song
2: yeah it's kind of you know best of both worlds there i guess that's so perfect
1: (laughs) that's so perfect and and so you guys have been playing about five years now or so yeah that's right um how just in memphis just
2: in the memphis area yeah yeah just in memphis area you know we all, um, we either kind of jump around, obviously, you know, this is not you know any of our full-time jobs, but, you know, we love the music, love the stories of the songs, love the community and, you know, love to get out there and play music for people as often as we can. You know, I mean, we're around playing, you know, well, I'd say probably before COVID, it was maybe, you know, once every you know, two or three months, every couple months, you know, don't want to oversaturate, but you know, every time we did it, we just had a blast and COVID came and just like with everybody else, you know, shut, you know, shut us down for a little bit, but you know, we've been back at it, you know, here in 2021 and uh, making the rounds and having a good time. And, uh, and what, what's the instrumentation in the band? Uh, So we've got, you know, two, two guitars, one lead, one, you know, rhythm, pedal steel. I play pedal steel, and we've got, you know, bass. Um, occasionally, keys will pop in there. Drums, of course. You know, we have a, a bit of a rotating cast of characters, also. So you know, it's, you know, we keep it kind of fluid, and you know, we have a lot of relationships here in Memphis. So you know, we'll have people pop in and out from time to time. It's a lot of fun. That's awesome,
1: pedal steel. So, yeah, which I love, and it's such a hard instrument to play. So that adds a little bit of a different voice. Do you do you steer towards specific songs and eras, or did, with the pedal steel, do you guys just lean towards that stuff, or do you throw it in there on,
2: on yeah, whatever? Man. You could, like, yeah, you know, whatever. I mean, you give me a Saint Stephen or Dark Star, or you know, Brown eye Women. you know, we will kind of run the gamut. Anything you know, country flavored, of course. You know, I'm gonna be chomping at the bit to play on, but. You know, it stretches me a lot as a player to, you know, throw in, you know, like deal or, you know, anything that's just more, you know, rock based rather than, you know, has that country flavor in it. So, I mean, I, I love playing it because it allows me to venture out of kind of what I was used to playing before I you know joined the band and, you know, helps me really find an interesting voice for the instrument itself. It's, it's a lot of fun. I'm sure it is probably... Pretty cool to like put pedal steel on the other one.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it that. Is. That's that's really really hip. So you guys cover all all
2: all parts of the catalog. Nothing's that's off limits. Right. Nope. nope, nothing off limits. That's,
1: that's great, dope. man. So that's that's so great. Well, I would imagine then with <laughs> with the unique instrumentation that you're using, your 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 approach to it is just let's go, anything goes. Let's let's see what happens.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we'll get together and you know jam as long as we've got you know the structure of the. Of the song down you know we'll just enter into it. you know me and uh lj who mainly does a lot of the other soloing you know we'll just kind of swap off he'll give me a look if you know he wants me to go i'll give him a look you know if i'm down or i'm done you know with my little part and you know we just kind of let it you know free flow let the music go where it it wants
1: do you ever find with the pedal steel (laughs) because it's such a unique instrument and it traditionally doesn't go into a lot of genres at the dead covers do you ever find yourself where you just have to say hey maybe this isn't going to work right here and you lay out or do you just try and challenge yourself to figure out how to make it fit into anything
2: yeah that's a great question yeah i mean i don't i don't sit down on any of it um but what i will do let's you know if you know like let's you you brought up the you know, the other one so you know, I can double very strongly on some you know low open strings and put on some effects on the steel that really you know thick you know thicken up the sound a lot. So you know, rather than trying to maybe you know solo as you know deeply, I'll just find some ornamentation that maybe fits what we're going for. Do some you know, just chord blocking. There's something like that to add with it, you know. I could see can, that
1: like almost using like swells like a string pad. You know, right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And stuff like that. Right on, man. That's very, very cool. Um yeah, thanks. Memphis, like I said, I have a ton of friends down there, it's just down the river from St. Louis. Um, but it's for whatever reason, and much to my disappointment, DSO doesn't hit there very often, you know. I think
0: we've we only have-
1: been there a handful of times in 20 years, so I don't know. A huge amount about your scene down there. So, can you tell us a little bit about your view of the local dead community? Yeah,
2: I think it's. Um, I mean, it's pretty you know close knit. Everybody knows everybody. I mean, it's just like any your dead community where whether you're you know in the lot or going to another city, you're going to run into people that you know. And I think that you know the roots of the dead scene here run pretty deep. You know, I'm originally from Indiana moved down here in 2000. And so, yeah, that's kind of where, you know, the beginning of my understanding of it comes from, but even, you know, right after moving down here, you know, remember again, you know, y'all coming into town and playing, you know, some venues in downtown Memphis and, you know, some of those same people that, you know, I've met down there are the same people that I'm seeing that are showing up at the shows that, you know, I mean, you know, this community where, we're everywhere, you know, it's uh, you're going to run into the people that you know and love and, and see. And you know, there's a pretty vibrant, solid community. We have a lot of people that you know, show up at the shows and support us you know, wholeheartedly, which is really, really awesome. What do you think it
1: is that makes this subculture? Is it the music? Is it the scene? Is it the lyrics? Is it the chords? What does it for you? What do you, th- what's your impression on that?
2: You know, as far as I'm start with the dead in general, you know, the the stories of the songs, it's, it's a lot like the timelessness of any folk music, right? They do such an amazing job of drawing on lyrics that seem both incredibly fresh and incredibly old at the exact same time. I mean, then that's the hallmark of any you know, great, folk tune from any country and i think that their ability since they were based so heavily in you know um, americana and early american music that you know it it seeps over and those stories are older than we are and they connect to something inside of us and when we're able to connect with those stories that came before us in a new way that is also resonating with something that's been there for quite a while it's bound to hook you. And I think that that's what, you know, our community is tapped into. That's what binds any community, I guess, you know, any solid community is being able to live in those stories that have been passed down. And just so happens that some of these, you know, started in the sixties and not, you know, (laughs) earlier than that. But again, you know, they're based in such a, you know, great storytelling, your tradition that I think that that's what ties it all together. That's an awesome answer, man. I appreciate that. Well, and I appreciate you
1: taking the time today because uh, it was great to meet you. I'm really enjoying meeting all these different bands from around.
2: It was a lot uh, of fun.
1: Yeah, man. And, and Memphis, like I said, I, I love Memphis. I always have. You know, I've, been going, <laughs> I've been coming down to Memphis since I was a teenager with having friends down there through summer camp and everything. So, yeah, I love get, it. If they don't know about you yet, I'm going to make sure they do now, man.
2: Well, we appreciate that. When you're in town, look us up. We'll go out and have a drink.
1: For sure, man. Thank you so much. That is Nate Powell from Left Unsung in Memphis. Have a great day, man. Thank you so much. Thanks. You too, Rob. Bye. What a nice guy. That was a great conversation. And there's quite a bit more of that that you can hear by supporting the podcast with a Patreon membership. You can become a patron with a monthly subscription for as little as $5 a month that includes expanded video versions of our segments, all of the outtakes that don't make it onto the podcast, community hang time, videos from home and on the road, including some old DSO footage, and much, much more. You can also make a one-time contribution via PayPal, so please support the cause, learn about the podcast and our sponsors, read my blog, or contact me through our website at www.themusicplaystheband.net. And if you have the time, please like, rate, and review the podcast on whatever player you might use. Thank you for your continued support and for helping to spread the word about the podcast. Our featured conversation is brought to you by Grateful Sweats. Think Grateful Sweats when it comes to holiday giving or a gift for yourself. Their subtle song designs will strike a chord for heads who get it, and they're stocked up on all your cold weather gear, hoodies, beanies, and of course sweatpants, as well as other grateful gifts. Search Grateful Sweats on Etsy or get there directly from the sponsor page at TheMusicPlaysTheBand.net. And right now you can use the coupon code TheMusicPlays to save 10% on your purchases and receive a free pin. Their selection is always expanding and they really do have something for everybody. So visit Grateful Sweats today for the holiday gifts for all your deadhead friends. My featured guest today is multi-instrumentalist Jason Crosby. Jason is what you might call a prodigy. He started studying music at a very early age and is more than proficient on numerous instruments. I found his story really interesting because as you will hear, he came into the world of improvisation at a later age and his path into the world of the Grateful Dead is almost a happy accident so uh, i hope you enjoy it and here is my conversation with jason crosby okay i am here today with multi-instrumentalist jason crosby how are you hey how's it going rob it's going great thank you for taking the time to do this i know you are out on the road with jackson brown right now day off in a hotel room
3: day off in a hotel room here in uh, greensboro north carolina couple shows to go before uh, thanksgiving
1: break this is what they call living the dream, folks. It's the the day off in the hotel room. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. I'm sure, but you guys got to do what you need to to stay safe and keep the big tour out there. And it's great that you're busy, you know, and you're working and you're touring all over the country. Were you uh Were you able to stay busy during most of the pandemic? I
3: was. Yeah. Um. I. I mean, it. It kind of happened in in different sections i was supposed to start working with with jackson in the spring of 2020 and then obviously that got pushed jackson actually came down with COVID early um and then i was gonna i was gonna be doing some stuff with O'Teal and friends and then that got canceled and then moon alice invited me to join their tour because at that point their tour had not been canceled right um and then their tour got canceled um and and Roger McNamee from Moon Alice uh decided that he was going to set up um in his house uh, a a like a sound stage basically to do a webcast for for 3 weeks. Right. So we were was do, up on that, right? Yeah, yeah. And so we were going to we were going to do 3 weeks at his house cuz we all assumed at the time that the pandemic would last 2 or 3 weeks and right. and, and and so we so lebo dan lebowitz and i uh, went went there a night early to do a trio kind of like a warm-up just to kind of test out all the gear for roger and um so we did that and then the next morning it was shelter in place so and so the night before i had brought all my gear down to roger's place and uh, you know was planning on staying there for a few weeks and and there was then then there was the shelter in place and so he said why don't you just stick around and we'll we'll do some some webcasts. And so we, we, we did a bunch of those. Um, I stayed down there for a few months. Um, and, and then I you know, went back to my house in Sonoma and, uh, but we continued to do a lot of live streams. So that, that kept me busy working with him. And I, you know, I did a lot of studio work. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, I bought one of those focus rights and got logic and, and so it was just like a lot of live stream, a lot of session work. And, uh, And I ended up staying pretty busy. And and I was also like studying Jackson's music, getting ready for whenever that eventually started, which took it, took, took, took a year, but, but we eventually kicked that
1: back off. And now we're here, we are working again for real. Even if it's a little different, at least we're working again.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, And I was lucky being out in the Bay Area, there was like more outdoor work, like terrapin opened up pretty quickly um into the into the pandemic, Terrapin was doing shows a few months in, three or four months in. And that lasted for a while, you know, until they closed. Um and so I was doing a lot of stuff with Phil. I was going over to Phil's house actually a lot and just kind of we were just jamming in his backyard a lot.
0: Nice.
1: Um uh and yeah I, I stayed as active as I could. That's great, man. I uh I want to go back to the beginning or okay. since how I start with everybody <laughs> here and you grew up on Long Island. I did. Can you tell us, uh, I don't know if it's going to be a long version or short version, but just tell us a little bit about your musical journey and how you got started.
3: Okay, well, uh, I started the day before my third birthday. So June 1st, 1977 was my first violin lesson, the Suzuki method, which is an ear training method. Um, And so I was in a room with probably 30 other three-year-olds and four-year-olds all playing twinkle, twinkle Twinkle Little Star at the same time uh, on a 16th, I was playing a 16th size violin. And um, so that was the beginning of my journey. And I have two older brothers that uh, play music and uh, they were, they they had noticed that I was playing all of the, my violin pieces on the piano in the same key. And they, they were like, you know, he's really got a, a good ear. You know, maybe he should take piano. So when I was four, my mom took me to my piano teacher for the first time. That's actually my first memory that I can remember in life is driving up that driveway in Seacliff, Long Island in September of uh, 78, I guess, when I was four and auditioning for my piano teacher. It was my only piano teacher for 13 years, but I had to audition for her because she only taught Russian students. There's a big Russian population in, in Seacliff, Sea Long Island, and she had her and her family had defected from Moscow and the year before, and she just she only taught Russians. But I came highly; I was a highly recommended four year old, <laughs> and, and uh, I I went over there and and auditioned for her, and 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 I was her only American student. I studied with her for 13 years, from age four to 17, and. Um, I learned a little Russian. She learned a little English. Her her husband would sometimes come downstairs and translate if if we were at an impasse and couldn't communicate. Um, and uh, she was basically training me to be a concert pianist. I, I was playing classical music uh, throughout my young life, and um, and so I I did that, and then I started learning some other instruments. Uh, we my family moved from Roslyn to Glen Cove on Long Island, and there was no string program, so I started taking trumpet at that point. Uh, started and uh, I played some trumpet, and some French horn, and some baritone horn through throughout middle school and high school. And um, when I was twelve, I joined this orchestra uh, called the Long Island Youth Orchestra, which was a, kind of a really big deal. Uh, my older brother toured all around the world with them. Wow. Uh, uh, in the late 70s, early 80s as a trumpet player. And they were like, they got the best 80 kids, 80 musician kids on Long Island, and they would take them around the world on these like world tours.
1: What instrument were you playing in that?
3: Well, the first year it was viola. Um, I auditioned on violin and the conductor uh, said, you're good enough, but you're 12. And uh, I turned 13 before the Tories. Like, I, I I, really like to give some of these older teenagers a chance I like you know the, the average age in the orchestra I think was like 16 or 17 um, and he, he said that you'll have your chance to tour with us um, so I, I'm gonna pass but then he patted me on the back as I was walking out and said but if you could play viola I could really use that and so I went home and I learned how to read in the viola clef and I tuned my violin down a fifth and went back and auditioned again because they were holding auditions I think for a week and uh, I ended up getting the getting the gig. <laughs> uh, and, 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 I toured, yeah, that was my first tour in 1987. We, uh, we toured all of South America and we were the first American musical group to play in Cuba actually after Castro had taken over. Um, so it was, it was pretty intense. Um, and so I did that for four, four summers, every summer we do a six to eight week tour. So 87 was South America. And then the following year was, uh, the South Pacific and Southeast Asia and Eastern Europe. Um, and yeah it was was an amazing experience for me to have as a kid and and it was it was really cool we would stay with um host families instead of like we would occasionally hotels but mainly host families and then at times uh like the chili symphony would come to long island and then we would put up an orchestra um so it was it was like a, a really cool way to to experience cultures and, you know, uh, branch out, out outside of Long Island. I, I actually credit those experiences with my lack of a Long Island accent. People are always like, <laughs> you know, you don't really have much of a, a Long Island accent. Well, I, I guess I, I, I started traveling early enough, you know. I mean, I guess I could, I could put it on if we wanted to have some coffee and talk.
1: We could, we could do we that. We could talk. <laughs> so, so all that's all through your teen years, and you're so you're all classical at that point. Are you exposed to anything but classical music yet at that point?
3: Not really. No, um, I I didn't really start improvising or or even playing or even listening to much music outside of classical until my later teens. Wow. Um, yeah um my my older brother brett um he is a major deadhead and was a taper followed the band around in the 80s and 90s and he he was the one who kind of turned me on to uh that type of music when i was about 15 16 is when
1: i started to get get exposed do you remember what you heard do you remember what it was um
3: well i i remember i remember hearing the the grateful dead record that had um branford on it
1: Okay. Uh, is that
3: without, a, without, a, without net? a
1: net? Yeah. The, the live stuff from the spring of 90.
3: Yeah. So, yeah. So I, that's what I was like 15 turning 16 and 90. So that was probably my first that and like Pink Floyd and the Beatles, you know, just like, you know, your, your standard, you know, rock and roll kind of stuff that, uh, that, uh, um, and then I went to boarding school for a year and that's where I uh, discovered fish and blues traveler and like, like what was happening then in, in 90,
1: in 91. Um, yeah. When you, so. when your brother turns you on and you first hear the dead, it, does it grab you right away? Or is it just some other music? Did What was your first impression? Did you, did you, were you immediately drawn into it?
3: I loved it. Yeah. I really, I really dug it right away. I, and I, I think that I dug it more than some of the other stuff that I had heard uh, from the dead at that time uh, I, I guess I, I wasn't really that deep into uh, improvisation and, and taking chances at that point. So I was like, I, 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 think that, you know, I, I don't know, it was kind of like a polished version of, of the dead, right. With, the, with, the, with those guys. Um, uh, so, um, I, I, I think I, my appreciation for the Grateful Dead increased as time went along and, and then really increased when I actually got to meet The guys and start playing with them i really i think that's when i understood it the best was at that point
1: as Um, you start learning it like that and you you know you maybe it took meeting the guys and starting to play there to get more exposed to it but as you start to learn the catalog are there songs or are there eras that really grabbed you more than others
3: yeah i mean the the record so after i guess without a net i discovered blues for allah and so that was the, that was the next thing that I, that was, that was really my jam in, in, in later in high school that, and then uh, Working Man's Dead, um, that those, those were the, those were the cassettes I had,
0: <laughs> you know, yeah, the right.
3: CDs, the yes. CDs that I would put, that I would put in my disc, man. Like, so I didn't really know any of the other stuff. Cause that's all I had. I had, I had Blues for Allah. And I had Working Man's Dead and, and uh, you know, I listened to
1: Without a Net with my brother, uh, you know, originally, but yeah that was actually a question I wanted to ask you because of the instruments that you play and, and, and where, where you're coming from, does the stuff like working man's Dead and American beauty and some of the more acoustic based stuff, sorry for this pun, strike a particular chord with you?
3: Yeah, it really does. I mean, I, I, I just identify with just the beautiful melodies and, and the, and the musicianship and, and i like, I kind of like the acoustic vibe. You know, growing up playing violin and acoustic piano, it's kind of I'm more of an acoustic natured player. You know, even when I dabble with a with guitar a little bit, I'm more more comfortable on an acoustic guitar than an electric guitar. It's just kind of it's kind of where my where my soul is.
1: Can you still, though, like can you still like identify with and appreciate some of that deeper, like even going back into the 60s, just some of that deeper, more electric, crazy, psychedelic stuff? Does that still appeal to you?
3: Oh yeah, yeah. Uh but I think I uh, again, I think it came when I was learning it. Like uh I remember learning uh Born Cross Eyed with uh with Phil and, and Oh, doesn't Bob everybody? <laughs> and I mean, and that song is crazy. And like I remember like going like driving to that rehearsal and like listening to the album version, which I don't think I had ever heard before. And I'm like, this this song is insane. Like, how are we even gonna do this? And we did it. And then Bob came and sat in with us and played it. And it was like, this, it just, I don't know. And then it all made sense to me. Like, and, and now when I play it, it's like, I, I can't wait to play that song. I can't wait to play. Like, uh, what was the other one we were doing? We, we had cream puff war. I think we were doing at the same time. We learned, we weren't learned both of those at the same time, or I learned both of those at the same time.
1: Would you consider yourself at least at this point, keyboards as, a, as your main instrument or is violin still your main instrument? Or do you have a main instrument?
3: I think that keyboards has always been my main instrument. Even even in the classical time, I just I think I always felt the most comfortable on piano. Um even though I played violin a little, a little longer. Um and then I I let the violin go for about 4 or 5 years. I was touring with a band called Solar Circus right out of high school.
1: I just and, interviewed a couple episodes ago I had Mark on. Oh, nice. Yeah,
3: nice. Yeah, yeah, so mark and then that was also through through my brother brett uh brett was friends with solar Circus's sound man roger jones and who was a taper buddies of, of of brett's and that's how he found out they were looking for a keyboard player um and you know i was a kid i was like you
1: know literally right out of high school i think i was 19 when i joined the band and you just totally put the violin away for a while
3: i put the violin away and and they actually came to my parents house a few years later and I think I was like trying to get a, a bong out of a closet or something like that. And they, they saw a violin case and they were like, what's that? And I was like, Oh, it's my violin. I, you know, I, I used to play. And they were like, "What? why don't you have that out with us? And, uh, and so I brought it down and I played it, I think like in Tuscaloosa, Alabama or something like that. And the crowd went crazy for the violin. And, and then it was like, okay,
1: I, I need to bring this back in the, in the repertoire. Was it, Just totally natural, pulling that back out and getting your fingers on the fretboard again. Not really.
3: No, (laughs) no, no. It was like it was like like I kind of had to relearn the instrument in a way, not not from a technique standpoint, but from um, not having a a written sheet of music in front of me standpoint. Right. I, I had always I had always had a music stand and knew exactly what to play, and so to get up there without a without a net just
1: a, a, right no pun intended you know like i know but that uh, phrase comes up all the time it really does it's so cliche but it's so true you know in this yeah. world that we live in this the without a net thing so then i want to ask you then and being a keyboard player then i want i'd like to hear some of your impression of what the different keyboardists and what you might have taken from some of them that might have influenced your playing and since you mentioned without a net let's start with brent
3: Yeah, well, I I can tell you that one of my first memories about The Grateful Dead was I remember being on tour with the orchestra in 1990 in Europe when uh, Brent passed away. And there were some really big deadheads in the orchestra like they were, they were older guys and they were all crying and they were all sad. And I was just like, what's going on? And they were like, Brent Midland passed away. And I immediately thought of my brother and was like, oh man, my brother's going to be so, so sad about this. And, and, um and so it was after that, that I kind of learned more about Brent. And um I really liked, I really liked his organ playing and, uh, and his, obviously his vocals were such a, key part and that those high vocals are so so great but i and he just seemed to from what i've learned since then um he just seemed to have such a connection with garcia that that it was just you know that that was that was the beauty there was a lot of beauty there like between the two of them and um yeah i i would say i would i i think that i'm probably have been more influenced by by Keith and his piano playing. Cause I, I think I'm more of a, uh, I'm more of a piano player than an organ player by nature. Um, and so I, I think I would gravitate towards more towards the Keith stuff, but I really, I, I loved, I loved Brent's playing a lot.
1: What is it about the Keith stuff, the, the voicings, the phrasings, his jazz sensibilities, all of that?
3: Yeah, all of that. Um, especially the jazz sensibilities. Cause I, I feel like I can relate to that. Um, I mean, I, I learned, you know, I, I've learned a lot of my non-classical stuff I've learned by being out there. And um, I learned a lot of like jazz harmony just from hanging out with like the Burbages and, and, and I, I, and people like, like them. And, and so I just, I just love that sound and that, that kind of those, you know, voicings and, and chord stuff and, and I, I think that that was that was what I, I I liked a lot about Keith. And I think that the material that they played in that era is some of my favorite material of the band's. So when
1: yeah, you mentioned like blues for Allah. and yeah, were you like when you know Keith primarily played piano, but he'd go over to like a Fender Rhodes every once in a while and stuff like totally, that. Totally, D- dug on that too.
3: Oh yeah, big. I'm a. i am abi love the Rhodes. I love electric piano. I love organ, too. I just I, I think I'm a little more self-conscious on the organ because I don't don't never had the formal training. So I basically, I taught myself how to play.
1: You no, know, that's that's not uncommon. I mean, Commenti was in the same boat with that. Baracko was in the same boat with that. I don't think a lot of people really a lot of keyboard players really concentrate on organ first, at least not the guys that are playing in the in the circles that we play in, you know?
3: Yeah, yeah. I you know it's it's cool that you that you bring up those guys because I would say I was probably as influenced by Baracko and Commenti as I was the original members of the of, of the Dead uh, to be perfectly honest because uh, those guys are just so brilliant and um, do such a great job and I know that they've done probably especially Baracko is probably you know because he's been a fan for so long and and been in that music. For as long as i can remember like and when you know when phil when rob got the gig with phil i took over his spot in the zen tricksters so right. i spent some time in, in the tricksters and uh and honestly I, you know, I i've learned a lot of the grateful dead's music by because i okay well i'm playing with the zen tricksters i got to learn a bunch of tunes that i didn't know and so i'd be learning you know baracko's style of playing which is probably based on keith's style of playing or, or you know whoever he was. Yeah, so. So I have to get I have to give Jeff and 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 Rob some credit there too.
0: That's
1: awesome. You mentioned playing with the Tricksters and and some of that other stuff. I read somewhere that that a night at the Wetlands is kind of what sparked your interest in jam music. You did an interview with somebody, and I read that that you had a night at the Wetlands that kind of turned the light switch on for you.
3: Yeah, yeah. I uh, I I went and saw God Street Wine. I I want to say it was Christmas. The evening of Christmas, so 1225, I want to say 91. Um, and there might have been some psychedelics involved. Or not, maybe, <laughs> who knows? Or, or not, I don't know. <laughs> we'll prob- probably were. Uh, uh, sorry, mom and dad, if you're listening to this. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I-, I watched from there was a taper section right next to the soundboard at the wetlands. There's like this little just like wall next uh, along the wall where everyone's set up. And I just remember watching God Street and just watching John Bevo, the keyboard player and everyone, and just being like, I hear all this stuff. Like I was hearing all of these things that I wanted to play and add to what they were doing. And I had all of these ideas of how to answer some of the lines that were going on. I, I, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know if, how much was just the inspiration or, or, or anything else that was going on in my brain. But it just was, it was such a inspirational moment. And I I decided that night that that's what I wanted to do. Like, really, I, I just was like, this is, this is what I want. Or at least in with music, I didn't know. I never thought about being a musician, even though I was uh, excelling at it at a young age, it was never a thought like, Okay, this is going to be what I do for my life and career. It's just, I, I hadn't thought that far ahead until that moment of the wetlands. And I was like, this, this is, yeah, this, I could do this.
1: So, so now you're in that moment, and you start playing with some of these people, like God Street Wine, and you're, uh, spend some time with the guys in my band, you know, with the tricksters and all that. So you're coming into this scene in a place at the wetlands and with bands that you mentioned and, and Blues Traveler and, 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 Spin Doctors and Fish and all these bands that are coming up there that are really kind of defining the new jam band world. It's all like happening right there. And you're yeah, just getting introduced to it. Can you tell as you start to get in that something special is happening there? I mean, that was a really special time for this whole jam band thing.
0: Oh
3: man, I could totally tell. There was it was a it was a movement. I remember I went, I went to all those uh, uh horde tours. Mm-hmm. Horizons of rock developing everywhere. Everywhere. That was that that was the shit, man. Like, I mean, I remember seeing one of them where it was like Colonel Bruce Hampton in an aquarium rescue unit, then widespread panic, and then spin doctors, and then blues traveler, and then fish Mm -hmm. all in one show. And just being like, this is this is like that's that's I wanted to be with them. I wanted to be driving around the country with all of those bands and playing with all of them. Like I, I loved every single one of those bands.
1: Me, me too. In fact, you mentioned God Street Wine. <laughs> right around that time, like 92, 93, probably 93, my original band here in St. Louis opened for them at some tiny little place, and that's when the album Bag had just come out, and I got turned on to that. I still listen to that album. I love that album.
3: I love Bag, yeah. that's that's fantastic record.
1: And we had to that. see on, him. A, go ahead.
3: Oh, I said I, I had that on cassette. That was like a, one of my go-to uh cassette tapes
1: that might be one of my first cds as i jumped from cassette to the cd world because that's what they gave me that night so that was a great side note there anyway so coming into this world though coming into this from the classical world how difficult is that for you to step into an improvisational setting now
3: it took a little time it took a little time um but i i had i had good people around me that were very patient and and uh and I feel like improvisational music, jam band musicians, and jam jam bands audiences are are very—they're forgiving, and they and they and they love off the cuff things, and they they're they're cool with mistakes, and they kind of cherish mistakes uh, in a way, and and so. That helped a lot where, especially coming from a world where you're studying with, you know, a piano teacher that taught at the Moscow Conservatory, where perfection is everything to go from that world to a, a world where, you know, imperfection is everything. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> it, it, it was it was a, it was definitely something that I had to adjust to and I'm probably still adjusting to. Um, but uh, it's it's gotten easier over time. And 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 you know,
1: I'm so glad that I'm I'm in it. Did your classical chops, or maybe not now, or just at any point, did your classical chops come into play during all this? I mean, do you ever find yourself quoting a classical passage that pops into your head because it fits there?
3: No, I don't. Well, maybe. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Uh, Maybe. But I I think how it's affected me more is that uh, in where i can use my technique to to my advantage to play some things um like uh, something that i i tend to go to the well to a a lot is if i have um improvisational idea i'll play it with both hands and i'll play single line solos two octaves or three octaves apart one thing i've been getting into a lot is like not even doing them octaves apart but tenths apart uh where it's basically i'm playing a, a third above but down low or a third above really high uh, and playing them the main idea with my left hand. And, you know, I know that, that, uh, people that have only had maybe, you know, are self-taught or, or rock trained musicians can't necessarily just do that without practicing, practicing it or, or, you know, and that's just something that comes natural to me because of all those years of playing Bach and Beethoven where the lines are concurrent or, or even different, uh, uh, to be able to do that is, is, is something that I kind of utilize, I guess, in my soloing.
1: Can you just hear all, do you have perfect pitch? Can you just hear all that? I do have perfect pitch. Yeah. 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 So th- that, that helps a lot too. I'm sure it does. <laughs> so I'm going to jump ahead. Uh, we kind of already touched, eventually you ended up on the West coast and you settled into the Bay area. And we talked about your playing with Phil and Phil and Bobby. how did your relationship with them come to be?
0: Well,
3: it was thanks to God Street Wine, actually. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah, so so God Street Wine, um, I joined them in the, the late 90s, um, and then they disbanded, uh, I think, in 2001, but I stayed friends with them all, and then they started doing their original five-piece band again, uh, like annual reunions, and I would stay in touch. I'd occasionally sit in. I'd support them because they were, like, my favorite band from my childhood, and um, in 2012, they went out um, to the Bay Area and decided to bring me along as like a 6 member special guest and their manager uh at the time is is this guy Matt Bush who co-manages weir and was managing uh further at the time so um through Street and matt i was kind of i tagged along on this trip that was you know the the like bay area we, just, we did the rounds we we played at tri and we did sweetwater and we did terrapin and um and and that was my my initial exposure to to those guys and bobby sat in with us at tri and then we went over to terrapin to play the bar and i there wasn't a keyboard there so i just played violin and um phil watched us play he was sitting on the steps at terrapin and he talked to michael weiss who was working for for god street and he asked michael who's that guy on the violin and what kind of instrument is that he's got some extra strings on there what what, what's the deal with that violin and so michael was telling him about my six string violin which has a viola string and a cello strings got two low strings on it and phil asked for my info and so they gave him my info i you know i didn't i didn't talk to him that night um but then he emailed me straight up and was just like, Hey, I really, really liked your violin playing. I'd like you to come sit in with Phil and friends. And, uh, okay. and so I went and I said, and so, yeah, it's like, okay, sure. <laughs> um, and so I went and I sat in at the, at the Wellmont theater in New Jersey and, um, yeah, I'll never forget it. It was, it was an amazing experience. I went to sound check and the, the first thing Phil said to me was, uh, are you familiar with the wheel? And, right. I was, was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I was, and I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think cavemen invented it sometime. And, you know, I made a joke about that. Uh, and, and so we we played uh, the wheel and Cumberland and a few tunes. And then Kemeni, who I, who I'd known, he, well, actually I knew the whole band and, and Phil was impressed that I knew Jackie and Russo and, and Jeff and everybody I was, you know, just was one of, one of the J's. in the band and and he's like you know these guys I was like yeah I go I go way back with all these guys actually and so Phil was you know I think he liked that that I was you know fit right in with everyone and and so Jeff asked me to come back out on the encore and play keyboard with him and I was like well Phil doesn't even know that I play keyboards and you know don't you think we should tell him and Jeff you know looked at me and smiled like nope let's not tell him (laughs) (laughs) and so I came out I came out and I played the encore and keys and Phil was just beaming looking over at me and and uh, I think, at that point he he really wanted me to play keys with him. And so, as time went on, very quickly it shifted from 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 violin to keys in the Phil world. Um, and he was hiring me to come out and and play a Terrapin a lot. And so I decided to just come out and hang out. I was living in Manhattan at the time, so I decided to come out and hang out for like a month because I felt it. like it just like you felt it in the horde days, I felt like, Something's going on in the Bay Area, all these like this new studio and there's these two new clubs, you know, like I I should I should hang out and just see really you know, dig into the scene for for a few weeks. So I did. And um, and so I was playing out there with at Terrapin with Phil and Matt Bush called me again. He said, hey, we're doing this weekly webcast called We're Here at TRI and our guest canceled. And can you think of anybody? I need a guest like today. And I was staying with uh, my friend, Shanna Morrison, who's Van Morrison's daughter. And I was like, well, how about Shanna Morrison? I was like her and I could come down. He's like, that's perfect. He's like, bring her down, you know, and, and come and do the show. And so the three of us, me and her and Bobby did the, the we're here that day with big Steve Parrish and Shanna doesn't play an instrument. So it was basically Bob and I playing duo um, a lot. And I played some violin. I played some keyboards. Um, and he was, you know, Bob, Bob didn't really notice me much, I think in the God street thing, but that day at we we're here. He was like, he's like, who is this guy? Like, I, I want to get to know this guy better. And so he gave me his number and, and asked for my number. And he's like, he's like, would you come back and do this next week? I was like, absolutely. I'd love to come back and do this next week. And so I, I waited, it was on a Wednesday. I wait. it's Tuesday the following week. There was still no phone call. And I was like, ah, oh, man, you know, I'll, I'll probably just head back to New York at the end of the week. And then Wednesday around like two o'clock, I see my phone says, Bob, Weir calling. And I'm like, kind of my heart kind of skips a beat a little bit, you know? <laughs> like, really? And so I pick up and, and he's like, hey, man, what's the difference between a, a fiddle and a violin? Like, it, there's no like pleasantries. It's just like right into conversation. And so we start talking about the, my violin and fiddle and all this stuff, and 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 uh, and he's like, hey, remember when I said, you know, did you want to come back next week? What do you think? Are you around? You know, today in a couple hours? I was like, yeah, sure. And we and we just kept talking on the phone, and eventually I was like, hey, Bob, I better go. I want to you know take a shower and gather some things so I can get up to the studio in time for the webcast. And uh, and so I did, and and I told him I was you know thinking about sticking around, you know, even longer than. I had been. And he was like, well, I'll never forget his words. He's like, well, if you move here, I'll keep you working. And, and I was, I was like, okay, well, I got a place. And, and also the, another thing that had happened at that time was that uh, uh Shanna um, had been renting part of her house to uh, a, a friend of hers that had just been proposed to by her boyfriend. And so she's now like, there was somebody moving out of this like apartment in her house.
1: It all just made and, sense, man.
3: And so it's like, okay, Shannon needs a tenant. Phil wants me to play. Bobby wants me to play. Like the universe is telling me, like I I, I was in a relationship in New York that was kind of falling apart. And, you know, and so I, it was a, like a, a way to have a fresh start in so many different ways that I just, I just I, up, immediately uprooted everything and just kind of
1: moved to, wow. to Marin. When, when, and now you're, and then all of a sudden you're playing with uh, improvisational rock with the legends who helped invent the genre pretty regularly. Yeah. Did yeah.
2: You, yeah. Did they
1: pretty much give you free reign uh, to do it the way you or, or especially like on violin, which is an instrument that when you're doing that with them, that's not really associated with that music. Are they just letting you do your thing?
3: They were, yeah. They ever, ever, pretty much since day one, they just kind of let me do my own thing. Bob would, Bob would, you know, sometimes have some things to say. Um, uh i think but phil phil really loves hearing new stuff and he does not care if it's out of left field he embraces that shit
1: that's awesome Uh, and 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 you spent a good amount of time you know in in the terrapin family band and you already mentioned txr you played a ton there at terrapin crossroads yeah and which unfortunately just closed its doors and I got, to play. I got to play there many times. Actually, one time with you and when we, Baracko and, and Jeff and I were doing the trio and you came and played with us that night. Yeah. Um, and I've seen a bunch of shows there. I got to play there with Dark Star and the stuff with the three of us and then Keller another night. For those who never got to make the trip out there, and I know so many people did and so many people wanted to, but can you share? I mean, you spent as much time there as probably anybody. Can you share your impressions of what made the place and the music coming out of there so special?
3: It was a family. It was a very large family, kind of like the Grateful Dead scene in general is is a very, very large family. But at Terrapin, it was just this community of musicians and fans that were all regulars. So you had this rotating crew of dozens of Bay Area musicians and this solid I want to say a hundred people, probably more, of fans that were always there. So you really got to know. I I really got to know like a lot of people, just a lot of heads. Right. And and I got to know a lot of musicians. And of course, national acts and bigger acts would come through that I that I knew, you know, throughout my career that I would get to catch up with when they would come through town. Um, but oh. it was really. I'm sad. I'm really sad to see it go because it was a place that there was music seven days a week. And in its prime, it was seven days a week from morning to night where there would be a a brunch set and then a happy hour set and then a dinner set and then an evening bar set all on that stage. Sometimes there would be music all all day long. And it was just a place that at any moment that I could go. And know that i could see a friend especially like moving from new york and starting a new life basically 10 years ago like uh, like that's where i could go and see friends meet new friends play music have a drink and and you know and just be a part of something
1: good hang man
3: it was just a great hang it was great community and you know the you know the 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 food and drink was great and the the the, and there was so many like there was different performance areas there was the bar stage there's the 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 park that they you know that came later the great room various places in the patio i I mean
2: excuse
3: me i probably played six or seven different locations within terrapin inside terrapin over the years because they were they were they were experimenting they were trying different things out like Let's throw a house party and have the stage on the other side of the the restaurant.
1: And some wow. pretty crazy and amazing music came out of there with all those different collaborations that are going on.
3: Truly, truly. Wow. Yeah.
1: Sad that yeah. it's gone, but I'm glad we had it while we did. You know, be thankful for that. Um. Yep. let's, Let's let's turn take a different tack for a minute. Let's talk about songwriting for a minute, if you don't mind. Sure. Um. I mean, you make your living primarily as a side man. But you've put out your own albums most recently, just a few years ago, if I'm not mistaken, like 2017 or 2018.
3: Yep, Um, yep, somewhere in there.
1: Your musical tastes run the gamut from classical to jazz to rock and roll to to all of it. And your your musical palette is huge. So when you're writing, I have to ask very specifically, do Hunter and Barlow ever have an influence on your writing or seep into your consciousness?
3: Uh, Man, I hope so.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a great answer.
3: I hope so. I, I, I wish I was a lyricist like those guys, but I, unfortunately I, I am not, but I, I gotta, I gotta be honest. I, I feel kind of lyrically challenged in a way um, where it, it's just musical ideas. I, they, they, they just come to me and, and I I'm lucky to have a lot of, a lot of ideas musically, but, but not so much lyrically. Uh, I just think it's, you know, maybe I'm too guarded or uh, afraid to be too personal or,
0: sure.
3: you know, whatever, whatever, whatever my hangup is, but I've been thinking about it. I, you know, I think about writing all the time and, and, uh, um, I just, you know, I, 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 I wish, I wish that, or I hope for myself in, in, my, in the second half of my life, uh, that, that I can develop a, a lyrical style that, that, you know, can, can
1: Let's talk about the melodic and the harmonic level then for a second. Or Are there things you heard, you know, I'm sure classical comes into play where it can just because it's so in your brain. Um, Are there things that you heard in the dead that just got you off so much, you know, you wanted to find a way to somehow incorporate at least a variation of that. in song. you know, that diminished run that you hear that's so hip. Does that any of that stuff ever seep in when you're writing chords?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, You know, uh, things like slipknot, uh, will come to mind when I'm like thinking about like individual lines and stuff like that. And I really love that song, Lazy River Road.
1: Me too.
3: That was like the first song that I um, sang or played with Bob and Phil together on mm-hmm. one of those we're here's. Um, it was, uh, it was like the craziest we're Here I ever did. Uh, it, Phil was the guest on that one. And I, I, you know, started out playing duo with Bob and I was playing violin And then Russo and Phil showed up and I played piano. And then I switched from piano to guitar and I played and I sang and played Bob's acoustic uh, in between Bob and Phil singing Lazy River Road. And then Phil had to leave and I played bass. Um, So like that was my favorite. We're It is the craziest one. I was like, I can't believe I just played four instruments on this one webcast uh, with with like the the ultimate of legends, but like Lazy River, the road was the one that I learned for that. Like I specifically was like I want to I want to do this, and from a lyrical standpoint and just from a finger picking, like that's where I get like I write I write most of my music I write on guitar, believe it or not, and uh and and I think like that kind of style, like that Lazy River road style of guitar
1: playing is like I, I kind of get off on that too. Um, that's that's one of my favorite. That's a song I could play every night and not get tired of it. Yeah likewise but um, the, the lyrics the 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 progression again but i mentioned that diminished chord thing and there it is you know and there's just yeah you know, days between has that same kind of thing with those with the chord progressions i just i love it. that stuff just grabs my heart you know yeah yeah it's Me hard too. though for you i'm sure i mean it's hard it's a fine line you were talking about slipknot and all that it's a fine line to emulate what inspires you but not regurgitate what inspires you.
3: Absolutely yeah that is that's that's a that's a challenge um but i i think that in in my writing i don't think you'd you'd hear anything that would be like that was totally ripped from you know that um i think it's more of a more of a subtle more of a subtle inspiration for me
1: right on um, you're on the road right now, like we mentioned earlier. You're on the road with Jackson Brown and opening up for James Taylor every night, watching one of my yep. heroes, Steve Gad, that we <laughs> talked about earlier. And you've shared the stage with so many people and been part of so many different groups, um, rock royalty, really. Some of which is jam-based, and a lot of which, like what you're doing right now, is song-based. Yeah. How different does your mindset or your approach have to be when you're in a jam situation as opposed to a song-based situation?
3: it takes some mental preparation for sure yeah um uh i like playing with playing with jackson i love it so much it is so different than playing with phil or um or bobby or or the, the jam music because it's 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 structured to a t every everything is a part so there, like i remember when i first started getting together with jackson and going over we would i would just hang out at his place in santa monica and we would just play and the two of us and he would show me one of his songs and then we would play just as a duo and i'd play some stuff and he'd be like that was great just like that would that was it just like a lot less licks let's do it again just like don't don't play don't play any of those licks and you know i and then i would play and i'd be like Man, I, I hope this is like—is this like too simplistic? And he would be like, "That's it," <laughs> you know, like that—that's it.
1: So yeah. when that happens, then do you, you know, because and and I love playing song-based music as well because I just love that straight groove and doing nothing else. But when for me or for you, when you do that, so all of a sudden, instead of thinking more about I'm going to groove on what I'm playing and the licks, do you start to groove on a bass line or do you just groove on a simple melody or the lyrics? How do you find what still keeps you? engaged in that you know what i mean
3: i i think it's i think it's lit the lyrics because that's what's at the forefront that's why that's why the songs are simple from a musical standpoint because that is not the focus the focus is the lyric you know he's up there telling a story so uh and and you know Garcia and, and those guys were they were telling stories too, but it's different. You know, it's a different type of story. It is a story along with a musical adventure. Where this is right. just a, these are these are these are stories. Like his set list is a story. Like he, you know, like when he's divide, uh, devising a set list, one song wouldn't go after another, not because of a musical reason, not because it's in the same key. It's because like that's not the story that he's trying to tell. Wow.
1: Yeah. That's so fucking cool.
3: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so I, I would say that my focus is is on the lyrics. and and as I, as my role has increased with Jackson and other other uh, pop artists like Jenny Lewis that I played with, it, it it is still challenging, even though it's not like crazy licks or stuff like that. If you're covering a lot of parts and it's like, okay, well, this part happens on the B three. For these four bars in the second verse but then you know there's a string line that comes in and then you're over on a mellotron and then there's a piano thing that happens and you know then there's a background vocal thing that happens. you know th- there's 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 still a lot going on in my head that it's you know i'm not like zoning out you know it's 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 exciting and but it is it is something that i've noticed like uh i was going back and forth in 2000 2000- 17 18 i want to say between playing with like jenny lewis and john mclaughlin and jimmy harry and or jenny lewis and phil and like the mindset that i would have to take to to prepare myself and i would prepare myself and i would still like need to be reminded by you know jenny like i'd be like okay you're back with jenny don't play anything any crazy licks or anything you know and then i I, but you know sometimes you take a solo still like even within
1: songs there are solos and but even that's probably just going to be like here's here's your eight bars
3: right right and 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 kind of like reel it in you know don't play necessarily like you know chop you know jazz odyssey um and so I would play and, and Jenny would be like, that was really amazing, but can you dumb it down a little bit? <laughs> she would say that to me, you know, or 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 vice versa. I would go back and I'd play with Phil and I'm like, okay, I'm with Phil, man. You know, just go out, right. let it all, let it all hang out. And so- and then i Phil would look at me and be like, Come on, man, play. You know, like he'd give me like the little hand sign, like, you know, you're not playing enough. And uh so
1: musically then, I mean they're both mentally and musically challenging just in different ways is there one that you enjoy more is there is that a bad question to ask while you're out on the road with a storyteller
3: no 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 it's not it's not a bad question and 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 there is i i actually have appreciation for all of it i i i I truly do and i think it makes me who who i am you know like uh, i i i come from a classical background i studied you know, big band jazz playing trumpet in high school and played in rock bands, but I've played in fusion bands and I've played in blues bands. I got to, you know, play, learn the blues by playing with Susan Tedeschi for four years. I learned gospel from playing with Robert Randolph and playing with the blind boys of Alabama for years. And I learned folk music from playing with Pete Seeger. I was actually just talking with James Taylor about that. This the other night, like him and I were, were, were chatting and he was asking about my history and I was you know telling him how lucky I was, I, I am and was to like, kind of adopt the, these influences and styles by actually playing with the people who mastered it or invented it. Right. Um, and so I, I have great appreciation for all of it. And
1: so yeah, I just feel lucky. With, with all those people you just mentioned, and some of them like Blind Boys, some of those are just my favorites, is do you have a favorite sideman job you've done over the years? Do you have that one? What do you have that special holy shit moment
3: I gotta say, playing in Mahavishnu Orchestra music with John McLaughlin and, and and Jimmy and those guys was 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 a high high watermark. I, I mean, I, there there's I have a, a a handful of of amazing you know moments in my sideman history, but that, that that that's one of them. That's in you know in the top echelon. Is I didn't I just didn't think I would make the cut. I practiced those violin parts for a year. Uh, and i didn't know if i was going to actually perform them with the band until the day before the tour so like when when jimmy called me for for that gig he said we're going to do these shows with john mclaughlin we're going to play mob vishnu music and we're going to do 50 shows 25 without him and then 25 with him and i was like okay that i mean this is amazing i was like do i need to like play the violin stuff because that may be out of my league and he's like no john john doesn't want to have any violin i was like okay cool and so a month or two goes by this is like a year before the tour a month or two goes by and i get a i get a call from mclaughlin's manager and he said john heard you played violin Uh, he wants (laughs) wants that he wants to check you out he's like can you send some youtube clips and so i sent you know what i thought would be the most impressive youtube clips i could find of myself and I thought, okay, he's going to hear this and be like, "Thanks, but no thanks." Like, um, but but instead, he said, "Okay, I'm going to send you the scores. I want to give you a shot." Is how it was put to me. John wants to give you a shot. So I was practicing and practicing, and practicing for a, basically a year. And as it as it got closer, maybe six months, five, four, four to six months before the tour started, I emailed John and I said. I'm looking at these scores, I see violin, I see viola, I see cello, I see keyboard. I, I don't know which songs you may want me to play on which instruments, and I've got the six-string violin, you may want me to cover the viola part or the cello part, you know, can you give me any guidance on, 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 on this stuff? And he writes back very briefly and succinctly, if you can, just please learn all of it on all instruments, and we'll figure it out at rehearsal. and rehearsals rehearsal is the day before the tour and also the day the day that i'm gonna meet him for the first time so like (laughs) never 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 met him but this is still Uh,
1: right up your alley though because now you're back standing in front of a music stand with sheet in front of you i mean this this is this takes you back you know that's right
3: that's why i felt like i had a chance and uh and so i just did it and it required me kind of relearning some of my old technique because some of that technique that I had lost in those like solar days and then relearning the instrument, I was basically always playing in first position and not really doing anything too fancy or anything like that. And this required all of that stuff, super high stuff, super fast stuff, all different positions, shifting, all that stuff that uh, I hadn't been doing. So I, I went back to the shed for a year and um and so the, the I'll never forget this, that at that rehearsal, we played this song called Eternity's Breath, which is uh, probably the most difficult one that I had practiced. And it's got this super fast guitar, violin, unison line. And we played it and it's super high and super fast. And John and I, we did it, you know, and I, after after the song, I saw him go back to his band members. And point at me and he's like he nailed it like you know like and so i knew it i knew in that moment that i had gotten the the gig you know i mean i was always going to be on the gig but that i was going to be playing violin not keys and so i got all this you know the the confidence in in my heart i felt so good about it so i turned my amp up just ever so slightly because i had this confidence i turned my amp up from three to four and we play the next song and john walks over to me he's like can you turn down you're fucking killing me
1: <laughs> did you really say it like that <laughs> yeah he said it just <laughs>
3: like that and then all of a sudden my i was like Ooh, you know, and like... <laughs> we're back to being <laughs> and we're back on planet earth and you know and, and and we laughed about it after rehearsal he apologized he's like oh man i was just walking by your amp in earshot he's like you're fine and i shouldn't have said that and i was like no, that's all cool it's fine you know
1: so did you at prob- three and a half
3: i settled in about three and a quarter yeah
1: <laughs> right on. well hey man i love hearing these stories and actually real quick and all those instruments you play do you have a favorite
3: i would say piano or guitar but probably piano
1: piano right on man yeah, well, I,
3: I mean wh- when i'm home and i just want to play for myself i sit down i have a it, grand piano and i just sit my piano
1: yeah. right on Well, I got to, I can't thank you enough for, this has been great. I've really enjoyed it. And hopefully it's made your day off go by a little bit easier. This is, Um, this is wonderful for me. Before I let you go, I do this with every one of my guests, a quick little lightning round. Just, I ask a question, answer as quick as you can. Okay. Um, And with some people, it goes really slow. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't think we're in in danger of breaking the slow record. Uh, First Grateful Dead show
3: nassau coliseum 1991
1: yeah that would be right no. after that would be the year after the sax stuff that's on on without a net but right it
3: was year. it was it was vince though so yeah, maybe 91.
1: it was 92 it oh, was no, 91
3: guess, yes yeah 91 no yeah fall like like late late 91 i think yeah
1: favorite grateful dead show doesn't have to be one you went to just something you listen to just do you have a favorite of any of that
3: uh great american music hall uh
1: 77 right <laughs> That's yeah. the one from the vaults right yeah uh studio recordings or live recordings grateful Dead. Mm-hmm. uh
3: oh w- one versus the other yeah uh i'm gonna say i don't know i don't know both <laughs> okay. Hey man,
1: you—I you, I don't want to put you out there having to pick favorites. That's cool. I
3: mean, I—I I, I love. I like I said, I love like Blues for allah There's certain certain records that I just I love. So I, I part of me wants to say studio records, but they're live shows.
1: Are okay, crazy. so if I move on to the next one, which is favorite Dead album, is Blues for allah going to be the answer? Yeah, absolutely. All right, favorite non Grateful Dead album? That Desert Island album, man. That that one you take with you. Wow. I know. <laughs> i can
3: just have one huh
1: yeah most people aren't too happy with just one reed mathis said i'll give you 10
3: yeah yeah i mean i man stevie wonder inner visions or fulfilling this first finale
2: that's a great call
3: yeah somewhere in that somewhere in that zone probably
1: first
0: job
3: Um, my, well, my first, I worked for my dad and my grandfather at at their store in Queens, um, getting, you know, but that was more like an family obligation. My, my first job was actually, my first job was playing piano. When I was 11 or 12, I started playing at like coffee houses and and, like country clubs and stuff like that,
1: playing like background music. You're a lucky man then, because most of the people on here, like Molo, his first job was working in a gas station in DC. You know, and somebody else's first job was cleaning industrial food vats. You know, so the fact that your first job was 11 years old and it was as a musician, man, good on you. Yeah, Uh,
3: but I I I had jobs from like age 13 till 19, though it was 19 was my last non musical job um, when I joined Solar. But between then, I worked at Wendy's and McDonald's and a couple delis and a library, and I was caddy. So I did I did some you know I did I I,
1: you know you you, did did you say caddy? Yeah. Well, then off the air, folks, we were talking about how he's stuck in his hotel room and he needs to take up golf. And if you've already been a caddy, you're halfway there, man. It's not like, I you don't know it. about the game. I hated
3: it. I, I quit on the ninth hole. <laughs> I quit. I, I quit on the ninth hole because the, like this father and son, they were blaming me for like all of their, their bad shots. They were, yeah, you got to get
1: past that.
3: Caddy. I think that turned me off the golf actually. <laughs> right on. Okay, Get
1: back into it. Your, your bandmates will love it too. having you out there Uh favorite color. Blue. Favorite venue to play?
3: Capital Theater.
1: Right on. I was just there last weekend. It was so much fun. Uh, Best city for a day off? Amsterdam. (laughs) First car? (laughs) Toyota Tercel Wagon. Current car?
3: Uh, Volkswagen Jetta.
1: Book you are reading right now?
3: Um, I am reading... Uh, A Warren Zevon book uh, biography um, called "I'll Sleep When I'm Dead," and um, I'm also I'm I'm actually almost finished with that, and I just started another uh, another book uh, about uh, Bill Murray (laughs) uh, biography. Yeah, that's great. I I I, I just I just finished a a Colonel Bruce Hampton biography too. I'm kind of like you know into like
1: you know reading about musicians and, and actors and artists i am the same way i am not a fiction fan really i like to read about people yeah. um and any magazine subscriptions uh relics <laughs> <laughs> and besides you know now we're, we're back at it we are playing but it's still not quite normal what are you most excited to have back in your life as we edge towards normal
2: oh man
3: I- i'm excited to be with my friends again I've made so many friends around the country and around the world and they've been able to come to my shows as guests, but I can't, I can't see them. So I'm I'm excited,
1: excited to, to rekindle some friendships. Awesome, man. Well, I can't thank you enough again for taking the time today. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I really did. Yeah, I really did. Awesome, man. Well, safe travels. I'm sure I will see you down the road very soon. That is Jason Crosby, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, my friend.
3: Thank
0: you,
1: sir. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode, and I'd like to thank Jason Crosby and Nate Powell for being here. I'd also like to thank my sponsors, Grateful Sweats, The Clean Store, and Beth Koritz at yourclarity.coach. And, of course, I'm very grateful to the Pantheon Podcast Network for bringing me into their family. If you enjoyed the show and would like to support the cause, please consider a monthly Patreon subscription that offers some great bonus content every week, or you can show your love with a one-time contribution. And please remember that a portion of your contribution will go to the Rex Foundation. Get info about this and everything related to the podcast at our website at www.themusicplaystheband.net. Any love is much appreciated as we try and keep the show rolling along. The Music Plays the Band is produced right here in St. Louis, Missouri, by myself and the production and songwriting team Brothers Lazaroff. You can find out more about them at www.brotherslazaroff.com. The opening and segue music you are hearing are remixes of portions of DSO drum segments that are produced by my drumming partner, Dino English. I'll be back again in two weeks with episode number 25, featuring guitarist Andy Falco of the infamous String Dusters. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and please stay vigilant. Things are going up and down and up and down, and we really need to keep them trending in the right direction, so please take care of yourselves, and just as importantly, think about those around you as well.
0: the American dream. The big house. The happy family. The money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat?
2: Would they shop? Would they shop?
0: Would you kill?
2: Yes. <laughs> my mom and dad. My mom and my dad.
0: From Airship...